we've been talking about spiritual warfare. And uh, as I've been meditating on this, the Lord has been taking me on a little bit of a journey. You know me. I like to challenge traditional thought. I enjoy turning things that haven't been touched in a while upside down and digging into it and making sure that we fully understand it. It's a little bit of pleasure for me, but it's also an important aspect of being a teacher of the word is that you can teach a tradition and people walk away adhering to the tradition and never really walking in the power. Or you can teach the truth. And your search for the truth will bring you to higher revelations, or I should say deeper revelations, of the truth. You, you stop growing when you think you've got this issue settled. And when I say settled, I don't mean you should always be wavering in your beliefs. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you think you know everything there is to know about a thing in the Bible, that's where you stop. You don't know everything there is to know. There's always more to know. Even if it's not an intellectual principle about it, it might just be an experience. You know, in the, in the boxing community, there's one group of guys that nobody wants to challenge, and that's old boxers. Guys who, didn't, who got 100, 200 fights under their belt. They, they may not move as fast, they may not punch as hard as the young guys, but you never want to take on an old boxer. Because if you can survive 200 fights, you learn something. You know something. Even if what you know is your own limits. The young guys, they're still figuring their limits out. And the, they usually figure it out in the ring. But the old guy, he done been hit a bunch of times. He know what that right leg can do. He know how many rounds he got in him. He knows what his knees are capable of. He knows himself. He's been in it a long time. Those are the most dangerous people you'll ever fight. So knowledge of the word is just as much about experience as it is information. And while you may have a lot of information, you may not have a lot of experience with the word. But you, you get a, you get a ex, the more experience with the word and the principles of the word that you walk in, you learn how you and the word work together. And that's valuable. And you can't, you can't inform yourself to that place. You have to live it. You can't read enough books to have that knowledge. You have to go win some fights. You got to go get some, some, some road experience with the word to know certain aspects of the word. And just when you think you got it all settled, there's a fight you haven't fought. There's a fighter you haven't stood in front of. <laughs> and when I'm in the Word, when I'm studying the Word, whether it's to teach it or for my own edification, I like to come at it from the perspective of, okay, I got that part. I know that's true. But there's more to it. I always assume there's more to it, and I want to dig. I want to dig. And it may not be new revelation in the body. Somebody else might have got it and taught it for 20 years. But I got to get it so that I can put it to work in me. And then when I put it to work, then I get the experience of it. Now that adds to my portfolio. Now I'm a better fighter. And with this spiritual warfare, you know, I grew up in a home where spiritual warfare was the norm. 
I grew up in a home where spiritual warfare was, you did that before you went to the doctor. You did that before you went to the lawyer. You did that before you went to anybody else. Nothing against doctors and lawyers. I like them both. I especially like lawyers. I'm one of the few human beings on the planet that does like lawyers. Uh, but I don't have any problem with lawyers. I get it. Uh, but in my home, both the one I came out of and the one that I am the, the steward over, spiritual warfare is the first thing we do in any situation, even if it's just where are we going for dinner. Sometimes it turns into spiritual warfare. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> it's easy if everybody was like me. It wouldn't be right, but it would be easy if everybody was like me. Because when a man says, baby, I'll eat anything, he means it. When a woman says, baby, I'll eat anything, that's not necessarily true. In my experience, it's not that she'll eat anything. It's that she knows what she wants. She's trying to be nice. And when they say, baby, I'll eat anything, when my wife says it, that's a lie. <laughs> it's, it's a lie. Because I can think of three things I can suggest. She'll say, mm, no, I don't want that. So she's lying when she says it. When I say it, I mean it. I'm just hungry. Wherever we go, I'm going to eat it. I ain't got time for it. When she says it, I know it's not true. It's her way of being polite enough for me to suggest something she likes. <laughs> no other man in here is going to amen, but he knows. They know. Okay, okay. We got some men in the room. <laughs> they know how it is. That's, the, that's as polite as your wife's going to get when y'all hungry. What was I talking about? Spiritual warfare. I got some spiritual warfare coming to me when we get in the car on the ride home tonight. Go to Genesis chapter 1. I'll lay some scripture down. I like to get all my scripture, for lack of a better term, I like to get it all out of the way. Because once I get on this thing, I like to reference back what scripture I've read. Genesis chapter 1. And we were in Ephesians 6 last week, and we were talking about the armor of God. And the last piece of the armor is not an armor piece, it's a weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we know that scripture. We've read it a million times, we've heard it a million times, and we've gotten some good preaching out of it. But I want to, as I was saying before, dig a little deeper, turn this over one more time, and just poke at it, because there's more to it. And the Lord's been revealing some things to me about that sword of the spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, if you can't find it, you're probably not in the Bible. Start at the table of contents and keep going to the right. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Stop. And then at some point later, we go to verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, in the Hebrew, that word spirit is ruach. And it is the Hebrew word for breath, wind. In the Hebrew, the Holy Spirit is defined as the breath of God, the divine wind of God. And in this passage, the breath of God is moving over the face of the waters. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Let's go to, let's see, where was I? Where, 
Let me find it in my notes so I can stay on top. Oh, yeah, there it is. I was just there. Genesis chapter 2. Where do I want to begin? Or I just had it. I have lost my place on two pages. Ain't that something? We're going to skip Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to come back to it. I'm trying to, make this, I'm trying to lay this foundation thick, and I have lost my place in my own notes and on the first two pages of the Bible. <laughs> Ain't that something? <laughs> While I'm thinking about that, I'll tell you all something. Pastor Diana made a statement on Sunday about opposition is supposed to work for you. And you know what the Lord said to me? I'm going to take this rabbit trail while I get my thoughts together. This is actually lines up with my, with my teaching, but while I just glanced at it in my notes and it jumped back at me, the Lord said to me, he said, do you know why you have to use the word to change things? And I said, because that's what you do. He said, yes, but why? He said, first of all, why is the most important question you'll ever ask. He said, you, the, the second you stop asking why is the second you stop learning. You should always be asking why. Even if the answer is you don't need to know, you still need to ask the question because it keeps your heart open to revelation. Why is a question you should never stop asking. I said, okay, why? He said, because I have to. And I said, but you're God. You, don't, no, you have no opposition. He said, that's not true. I said, well, yeah, because the devil, he said, no, the devil's not my opposition. He said, because the devil's not even on my playing field. We're not on the same level. He's not my opposite. The opposite of God is not the devil. He said, but if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, he said, then what am I? This is, how, this is how God and I talk. He said, what am I? I said, you're God. He said, what am I? I said, you're love. He said, what else am I? I said, you're light. He said, yes, I am light. He said, what was in the beginning? I said, darkness. He said, exactly. He said, I'm light, and I faced darkness. And he said, and what did I use to remove the darkness? I said, you, your word. He said, exactly. He said, and what was present? Before I spoke my word, what was present? I said, the Holy Spirit. He said, exactly. He said, what I want your people to understand and what I want you to understand is that the opposition of darkness to the light of God had to be removed the same way every opposition in your life has to be removed. First, the presence of the Holy Ghost is ushered in, and then the word of God is spoken. And what happens a lot of times is we... I'm going to say this right. Don't jump on me. We're trying to use the word to change things without the Holy Ghost because we've overemphasized. I got all this on Sunday from the opposition thing. We overemphasize 
the authority of the believer, which is correct. We have authority. But we've internalized our authority to the place where we've forgotten that it's empowered by the Holy Ghost and not by us. So when we face spiritual opposition, we immediately rely on our authority as believers. And we try to handle the word in the absence of the Holy Spirit. But whenever God spoke, the Holy Spirit was hovering in preparation to move on that word that was spoken. In the absence of the Holy Ghost, you're just saying words. Now, God is light, and he's facing darkness. And he had to use the word and the Holy Spirit to remove that darkness. We must do the same. Opposition gives us opportunity to learn to do that very specific thing. That's why it's a good thing to be opposed. Because it teaches you, as children of the light, how to move darkness out of a situation. And it's the same way God did it in Genesis 1. And what we've done is we've skewed our thinking to an internal authority by way of being saved. I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, Jesus died for my sins, I have rights. And that's true. But you see, rights are things that cannot be infringed upon you, cannot be infringed. In America, you have the right to free speech. That means no one can remove your freedom to speak your mind. You have the right to keep and bear arms, which means the government cannot, according to the Constitution, infringe on your right to protect yourself and arm yourself according to the generation you live in. My Second Amendment argument revolves around the idea that I have to be as well-armed as anybody who could do me harm, because that's what the right to bear arms is all about. Those are rights that cannot be infringed upon. But authority is delegated to do work. Authority is different than rights. And a lot of times we use the words interchangeably. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And a lot of times when we stand up to the devil, we're standing up in our rights, not in our authority. Because your authority comes from the Holy Spirit. It does not come from your identity as a child of God. Your rights come from your identity. But your authority comes from the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to skip Genesis chapter 2, because apparently I didn't write down the note that I used. If you look at my notebook, I have scripture, and then I have a note that tells me what the scripture was about so that I can quickly jump on that point. I have a scripture. I don't have a note, which means what was probably happening is I was just talking to the Lord, and I scribbled that out, and then I didn't write no more after that. So I'm going to skip that one and go to my next point, which I do have in here. Because that's how I do it sometimes. I need a secretary to help me keep all this together. I didn't name no names. I didn't name no names. <laughs> I'm already in trouble. Look, if you dig a hole, 
Make it deep enough to hide in. That's what I believe. <laughs> I done dug the hole anyway. I might as well live in it for a while. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. Well, since I'm digging, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. Baby, my love, my darling, can I use you for a second? May I? I'll buy you dinner later. I promise you. I mean, I'm going to do that anyway, so it's not a, it's not a good bribe. I'm going to show y'all how this breath of God thing works. Baby, I want you to stand up. And I don't know if the camera can get all of us. I'm going to need another person in a second. Come here, darling. And uh, just stand right here. I have some words on this sheet of paper. Now, in this example, and only in this example, you're going to be the devil. <laughs> only, you know what, you ain't even got to be the devil. You can be my wife. I can still make it work. Okay. <laughs> uh, I need a volunteer, someone that can read and, and isn't. Because we got some young volunteers whose hands will go up quick. I need a volunteer. There you go. Oh, you're perfect. You're perfect. <laughs> I, I apologize in advance, Sister Dear. No, I'm not buying you dinner. Now, these are my words, okay? These are my words. But you're going to say them, and you're going to say them to her. Okay? This is my brother-in-law, Jalen. It's all good. <laughs> Video director is saying, face each other, and I want you to read, say my words to her. I know. I know. I'm digging a hole. Say it out loud. It's all right. Kiss me on the cheek. Say it out loud so they can hear you, sir. Kiss me on the cheek. Say it again, this time with some authority. And look her in the eyes when you say it. <laughs> Look her in the eyes and command her according, according to my word. Kiss me on the cheek. She's not moving. Why isn't she moving? Because she's wise. <laughs> and so are you. And so am I. Why isn't she moving? It's my words. She's my wife. I have authority in this situation. But you don't. Now watch this. You can sit down, sir. You are relieved of duty. <laughs> now, I'm going to say it a little bit nicer. Honey, dear baby, would you please kiss me on the cheek? Thank you. You can say the other kisses for later. Okay, okay, now, okay. let me show you all something. The difference between him and I is not the words. It's not the word he used. He got his word from me. Why did the word work for me and not for him? You can sit down now, baby. Now, obviously, we know because she's my wife, and he wants to live. <laughs> he enjoys his life. He has a good life. He don't want to mess that up. And she don't want to be responsible for the murder. <laughs> so, <laughs> but for the sake of the analogy, 
I had to give him a command I knew she wouldn't follow. The reason why she didn't move, or same word, is because it's not my breath. See, the breath in me is attached to me. It's my breath. And when I speak, my breath comes out. And the authority is attached to my breath. Not my words, but my breath. Because I'm identified by the breath in my lungs. When he speaks, he's speaking in his breath. And his breath only has authority over things that he has authority over. My breath has authority over whatever, over whatever I have authority over. You understand? So when he speaks to what I have authority over, in his breath, the words he says doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. Because the words are identified not by the wording, but by the breath that spoke it. Okay. If you're taking notes, write this down. The breath of God, who is the Holy Spirit, the breath of God makes the words of God the word of God. The breath of God makes the words of God the word of God. Absent of the breath of God, it's just words. And the devil knows that. The authority to make the words of God, the word of God, is bestowed by the breath of God. This is why Jesus made all of his disciples lock themselves away in a room until the Holy Spirit had come upon them. Because they weren't saying anything different than what they had witnessed. The entire, everything written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had already been experienced before Pentecost. Jesus walking on the water, they had already seen that. The transfiguration, they had already seen that. The raising of Lazarus, they had already seen that. The, the multiplying of the fish and loaves, every sermon that Jesus preached, they had already witnessed it. They could have told you those stories. They could have told you that without Pentecost ever happening. Without the, the tongues of fire, they could have still told, they could have still written these books and gone around preaching because they're just telling a story. They're preaching what they experienced. They could have done that without the Holy Ghost. But it wouldn't be the gospel without the Holy Ghost. Amen. Jesus understood that the breath of God is a necessity in order for any words they said to have God's authority on it. When Jesus returned, he told them, all power has been given to me. He said, I have all the power. And then he instructed them to wait here for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Ghost. Those two things are connected because the, the authority, that word power is translated as authority, still rests 
with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit authorizes, based on his authority, what we say. And what we fail to do many times when we engage in spiritual warfare, we see a situation forming or a situation has formed. We go to the Bible. We find some scripture, which is good practice. We go to the Bible. We find some scripture. And we start confessing it and reciting it. And we get aggressive with it. You know, Jalen got loud. He got aggressive. As aggressive as he felt comfortable getting. <laughs> you know, he tried all the spiritual tricks that we tried. I'm going to yell it. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to stomp it. I'm going to write it on the floor and stand on it. I'm going to do all these things. <laughs> and it's the word. It's, it's Isaiah 53 for healing. It's Philippians 4.19 for finances. It's all those scriptures that we know. But you still end up sick or without enough money. Check your breath. You see, you might have bad spiritual breath. You ever met somebody who had bad breath? Bad breath is internal. Bad breath comes from the inside. You can eat some garlic and have garlic in you for a little while, and then once it works through your system, it's gone, your breath smells fine. But you ever met somebody with chronic bad breath, halitosis, where they got a gut health problem? I knew a guy. He had, a, he had something wrong on the inside of him, and I don't care how many mints he ate, how much gum he chewed. He had good oral hygiene, but his breath still stunk because the inside of him was corrupted. It was attached to his lungs. So every time he, he talked, you just back up, you know? He could have cast out demons with that breath. In the spirit, you might have bad breath. Where you're saying the right words, but it's not with the anointing of the Holy Ghost on it. And you say, well, how do I know? Many of us don't develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit to the same degree we develop our relationship to the scripture. Because the scripture, for lack of a better term, is easier. Praying in the Holy Ghost for an hour a day seems very difficult to do. And many of us don't have the spiritual or natural discipline to do it. Praying in the Holy Ghost and then listening, which is another lost art in the modern church. It's how to listen for the voice of God, Amen. which is how the Holy Ghost speaks to us. We want signs. We want external signs. Those are for babies. External signs are for babies. Inward witness is for the mature Christian. The ability to have the Holy Spirit think through you and trust that that's God. That's not God. That's God. That's not God. To be able to do that. And we've all made mistakes. We still get it wrong sometimes. But to know the voice of God comes from fellowship. And if that fellowship is developed properly, you will know which scripture to use in which situation because he's going to put his breath on that verse at that time, and then it's effective. You can't just crack your Bible open and say anything, and it worked. And I want to dispel that rumor. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to dispel that idea because I know some of the poorest, sickest Christians know the most scripture. They can recite whole verses, whole chapters, whole books almost. 
but they don't have any evidence of it in their life. And you have to wonder why that is. Well, I'll tell you why that is. Because they got bad breath. In the spirit, they got bad breath. It ain't the breath of God when they say it. It's the words of God, but it's not the word of God. God had his breath hovering over the waters in the beginning, in the dark, waiting for the word. And when God spoke, the spirit moved. And that's how it works. See, if you locate where is the Holy Ghost, we talked about that a little bit last time, I believe. You got to, or maybe, maybe that wasn't here. Maybe that was somewhere else. I don't know. It's been a busy week. But I know I preached it recently. Y'all ain't the only folks that I preach to. I don't know if you knew that. I preach everywhere I go. I take my Bible with me everywhere I go, and I preach everywhere I go. If you give me a few minutes, I'm going to get on something because it's just who I am. But uh, you have to be where that's what it was. We were talking about one with the issue of blood, not here. I was having this conversation with someone. We were talking about one with the issue of blood, and I said, you know, the woman's prerogative was to touch Jesus, not to get healed. She knew she would be healed if she could touch him. All she thought about was touching him. And when the revelation that came out of that conversation was, you want to be where the Holy Ghost is. The action you take to get to where the Holy Ghost is, that's on you. But once you get there, the rest is on him. The rest is on him. And what we're trying to do is figure out the right combination of scripture to get a result. And we're not interested in being where the Holy Spirit is. We're more interested in, okay, what's the good scripture for this problem? Okay, so when I had this problem, this is my go-to scripture. Okay, it's a good scripture, but maybe that's not why you have the problem. You might have the problem because of something in Psalms you need to be doing. But you're in, you're in Romans because the words in Romans apply etymologically to the issue you're facing. But, it might, but the answer might not be in Romans for that, for that moment. It might be in Psalms. But you're not letting the Holy Ghost tell you where to go, where his breath is. You're just going to a, a reference. Scriptures... This is why I like Google, but I also don't like Google. Because what we do is nowadays, you know, back in the old days, we had these Bible promise books. Whoever had a Bible promise book? I won one for reciting Psalms 91 when I was a little kid. If you could recite it, the prize was a Bible promise book, and I won it. And I can still recite it to this day. Um, back in the day, you had these Bible promise books. I guess they still make them where they've, they've categorized all the scriptures by category. So these are all the scriptures on love. These are all the scriptures on happiness. These are all the scriptures on faith. These are all the scriptures on, on healing or on money or whatever. And it's a great reference tool. But what they did was they went into a concordance. They found all the scriptures that have certain words in them, keywords, and then they just compiled a list. So if money comes up in the scripture, we put it in the money category. Well, maybe it's not a money scripture. Maybe in that moment, what you're dealing with isn't a money problem. But because it's manifested as a financial deficit, you go to your money list scriptures. And you go, okay, I'm going to do this one right here. And you go to work on that scripture. 
and you do that for two weeks and you still get evicted. And then you try to work around why it didn't work. But did you actually have the breath of God in that place? Or were you just following your reference material? Nothing wrong with having reference material. I got a lot of it myself. It's good for study. It's good for knowledge. But when you are in spiritual warfare, you must have the right tool for the right job. That was a, a slogan we used uh, in the government, the right tool for the right job. Because if you had to keep going running back and forth to the tool room to get different tools to figure out what to use when it was just one tool, every job possible had a specific tool for that job. And the more experienced the mechanic, he knew exactly what tool. And we would do the same job so repetitively, we could tell you what wrench size you would need. You could always spot the new guys, because they would take their whole tool bag with them on every job. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. The new guys take their whole tool bag with them. When I first started, I had two bags, and they weighed about 60 pounds each, and I was lucky, and I climbed cranes for a living. So you had to climb up this ladder with these 120 pounds on your back, or you drop them on the floor and then pull them up on a rope. Man, I had some good exercise back then. I don't know how I gained all that weight. Uh, <laughs> but the old guys who had been doing this a long time, they would bring two wrenches and a mallet because they knew what the job was. They'd say, oh, no, all I need is a three-quarter inch for that bolt and a half inch for that bolt, and we're going to knock this out. And that's all they take. And they put it in the back pocket, and they would just climb up the ladder and knock the job out. And I'd be like, man, how you do that? I mean, I've been doing this 20 years. This is the same bolt. It's the same size, they ain't changed. Right tool for the right job. Experience taught them how to apply the right tool. Now Ephesians 6 says, in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. That's a capital S, so that's talking about the Holy Spirit, which is the word of God. Now in the Greek, the word is pneuma, or breath, because the New Testament is written in Greek, not in Hebrew. So in the Old Testament, it's ruach. In the New Testament, it's pneuma, but it means the same thing. Breath, wind, the divine wind of God. Take the sword of the Spirit. Capital S means the Holy Spirit. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's important. Remember we talked last week about how the armor is God's armor? How it's actually God's armor that he puts on? When he did spiritual warfare, this was the armor he arrayed himself in. That must have been a sight. The weapon is the Holy Spirit's. It's not your sword. It's his sword. You missed that. It's not your sword. It's his sword. Paul says you can use his sword, which is the word of God. See, Paul's making an authoritative statement. What he's saying is, just like a police officer, Dad used to use this example. A police officer is not walking in his rights as an American citizen when he pulls you over. He's walking in his authority as someone who's been commissioned by the government to do his work. That gun is not his gun. That's the city's gun. That shield is not his shield. It's the city's shield. That car belongs to the city. That uniform is the city. And its authority to be used in the manner in which they use it is bestowed for the purposes of the city. 
and by the direct instruction of the chain of command of the city. He's not out there on his own because he can shoot good. He's not out there because he can run and tackle people or because he can recite Miranda rights. That's not why he's out there. He's out there because they sent him and they equipped him. And if they say don't do that, he has to stand down. If they say, no, 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 leave that person alone, go over there, guess what? He has to stand down. He can't say, hey, I'm a cop, I can do what I want. When they do, we put them in court. We put them in jail. And what you're trying to do is fight spiritual warfare in your rights with no authority. And you're trying to figure out why you lose. That's why you lose. Because you're trying to do it in your rights, not in your authority. And your authority is attached. Your weapon, the word of God, is attached to the spirit of God. You can't separate them. You don't have a sword without the Holy Spirit. It's not your sword. It's his sword. And you have access to it by his authority. Jesus cultivated his relationship with the Holy Spirit to such a degree that they were indistinguishable from each other. But Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. And when Jesus was baptized in the Holy Ghost, he didn't go to work. He went into the wilderness to develop his relationship with the Holy Spirit. He spent 40 days in fasting and prayer to develop his relationship with the Holy Ghost. And then spiritual warfare happened. And the Bible says that he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Ghost. After the baptism of John, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's in the Bible. That's in your Bible. That's in my Bible. The Holy Ghost knew Jesus would have to learn how to use the sword of the Spirit, and the only one who could do that was the Holy Ghost. The only one who could teach him the only one who could equip him, the only one who could empower him was the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit said, all right, Jesus, now I'm with you. Let's go train for 40 days. And then we're going to work it out on the devil. Now, the devil don't know this plan because he's not in this conversation. So when he shows up, he thinks he got a shot. Because he's not in on this conversation. The devil does not know what goes on in heaven. I want you to know that. He has no idea what the plan of God is. Do you realize the devil does not know the plan of God? The devil is just being himself. And if you would stop reflecting his actions and stay on the plan, he wouldn't have no idea what was going on. The Bible says if they knew, they would have never crucified Jesus. They didn't know. You think he would have crucified Jesus if he knew what that sacrifice was going to do to his kingdom? He'd have put Jesus on a fluffy pillow and fed him with servants and nobody would be able to touch him. But he was so adamant about being the devil, because that's what he is, that he just went along with his nature. And he's the same way today. He don't know what's going on. You know when the devil finds out what's going on? When you panic. When he does what he does and then you start flipping out, now he goes, oh, that works. And then he doubles down on it. He don't know. He's a bully. He's not a fighter. He's a bully. And bullies aren't tough. 
Bullies appear to be tough so that you won't hit them first. And as soon as you hit a bully, all their power go away. Because they never really fight. Speaking of which, I got 10 minutes. Let me go to the second, the last part of this. The Lord gave me this, and it's so good that I had to share it. There's no money in this tithing offering envelope, just so y'all know. I tithe. The type, if you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. The type of warfare we are engaged in, referring to Ephesians 6, Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The type of warfare we are engaged in is not two armies facing off against each other. That's not what it is. It is not two armies facing each other. I know it's been said that way for a long time, but it's not true. It is an extermination of pests that we do not fear. No believer is in danger of being overcome by demonic forces. You cannot be overcome by demonic forces. But negligence or ignorance may lead to you being overrun. You cannot be overcome by the devil, but you can be overrun. What do I mean? Let me show you this in closing, and then we'll take up the offering. You know, when it gets real, real hot outside, like it was a few weeks ago, shout out to Sister Michaela for praying in fall three weeks early. <laughs> I woke up this morning, it was 60 degrees. I said, that woman is a woman of faith. Because it was 95 last week. I was there, I know. It was 60 this morning. I said, that don't make no sense, but that's Virginia. I have a theory about Virginia. Virginia is the oldest of the 13 colonies. It's the oldest colony in the United States. Virginia, the reason why the weather is so abnormal is not because uh, of climate change. Virginia just has menopause. Virginia just is so old. Virginia just got menopause. So it's hot today. It's cold tomorrow. You don't know what it's going to be the day after that. <laughs> That's what's wrong with Virginia, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that aren't native to the state. Um, when it gets real hot outside, sometimes you get little bugs. A few weeks ago, we had some ants in our kitchen. Now, my wife is an impeccably clean person. She grew up, her parents owned a cleaning company. That woman can clean, super clean, too clean. It's annoying how clean it is, because when I wipe things down, I wipe it down, it looks clean. She has to boil it for 32 hours. <laughs> then she got to build an altar, put it on an altar, sacrifice it up to the Lord, wait for an angel to come down, touch it with the blessings of God before we can eat out of it. That's how she is. Impeccable. I love it, but it's annoying. So we had a few ants. So she went to work. Babe, come here. Take all this stuff out the cabinets. It was only like five of them, but she says if there's five, there's, there's 100. She took them, cleaned the cabinets out. She got her bottle of bleach and a bottle of vinegar, and she's double spraying. She's double tapping these bad boys. And then she's hitting it with the mop, rag, wipe it down. Now the whole kitchen smells like bleach and vinegar. It's hard to breathe. The ants was dead. <laughs> she got them. 
I said, baby, you won. Here's the thing. She wasn't afraid of the ants. We have authority over ants. They're ants. We're human. There's no human-sized ant in there that she's going toe-to-toe with, and she hit them a few times, and they hit her back. It's not a war like that. It's an extermination. But watch this. We have authority over the ants. But if we're on the couch, if we're not cleaning, if we're not paying attention to the environment, even though we have all power over these creatures, we could get up the next morning, they'd be all in our, in our refrigerator eating our food, ruining what belongs to us. We can't be overcome by ants, but we could be overrun through negligence or ignorance. If we didn't know they were there, they could overrun our position and absorb our resources. But diligence and vigilance means she saw five. Nope, I won't let five get by because they come in groups. There's a colony of these somewhere. I'm going to take them out now, and I'm going to be on guard. So for the next few days, she would get up and just wipe the surfaces. Don't leave no food out. Put everything away because we got to make sure that we got to see where they're coming from. And I don't know. They, they ain't been back since. That's how you treat demons and devils. That's spiritual warfare. It's not, oh, he blacked my eye out. Now I'm, I'm hurting. No. It's, hey, hey, that's not welcome in my house. I'm going to attack it with everything I have so that it never gets a chance to breed in this environment. Because I'm not going to bed with these things crawling around in my kitchen. I'm not going to bed with these things crawling around in my kids, crawling around in my finances. To do that, you got to be on top of your spiritual environment at all times. Spiritual warfare, for a lot of us, is always coming back from behind. You turn the lights on, and it's ants everywhere. Now you're in super clean mode. When it should be, I saw five. That's enough to get the bleach out. But we don't go hard enough on the spiritual stuff. So then we give our enemy a chance to overrun us. They can't overcome us because they don't have the strength. But they can be sitting in places of absorbing our resources. I work for that money. I work for that food. They can't have my food. There's plenty of food out there. There's a whole scripture in Proverbs about them. Go outside and, and be biblical. It's my food. <laughs> you can't eat my food. Spiritual warfare is an extermination. It's not, a, it's not a war where we can lose. But it is a situation where we can be overrun through negligence and ignorance. That's why the devil wants to keep you distracted and dumb. Because if you just see him and get up off the couch and grab your bleach, he really has no defense against you. He's defenseless and he's trespassing on your space. But you have to be proactive about that. Spiritual warfare is not reactionary. It's not reactionary. You can't leave food laying all over the place and then get mad when you see some bugs. We're going to get into, the more, we're going to get into some practical spiritual warfare things next week if the Lord says otherwise. I wanted to lay that foundation. The main two points I want you to take away tonight is the breath of God is a necessity to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If your relationship with the Holy Ghost is not strong as or stronger than your knowledge of Scripture, the, the Scripture you know you don't really know, and you can't use it. It does not work 
up here in your head, and it does not work in your intellect. It only works when it's been breathed out by the lungs of God. It has to come out of his lungs for it to do what the word does. The second point I want you to take home is that we are not in a war against an opposing army. We are exterminating a pest. And the same way you would treat ants in your house, you got to treat the devil in your house. You get up in the morning and you clean. We're going to talk about that because I grew up in a clean spiritual environment. And many of us don't know what that's like. I'm going to explain that to you in detail, what a clean spiritual atmosphere is supposed to feel like. Because once you've lived in it, you can't really live anywhere else. I grew up in a spiritually clean environment where people would, ah, I ain't got time. I have 30 seconds. People would come into the door and demons would start acting up. I grew up in that house. My sister Casey, she knows. We grew up as children in a home where demons would start acting funny when they came through the front door because dad and mom prayed all the time. And they anointed the atmosphere of the home. There were things you weren't allowed to do in that house. There were things you were encouraged to do in that house for the sake of the atmosphere. And we got to get back to that atmosphere. You go into some people's houses, the atmosphere should be clean. And it's noticeable when you're in a clean atmosphere versus a non-clean one. And you can't hide it. Anyway. That's the word for this evening. Let's take up the offering and then we can go home.